Climate change is a big problem. We, as farmers, are really capable of helping solve this problem. And so farmers developed a way of talking about climate change that was really grounded in their identity as farmers. That identity is we solve problems. It's a big problem, we can solve it, but we also have to change the system. That's Matt Russell. He's a fifth-generation farmer in Iowa, and he's the executive director of Iowa Interfaith Power and Light, where he leads the faith community and farming. He sees farmers as part of the problem with climate change and emissions, but he also sees farmers as part of the solution using clean tech innovation. If you've been praying for a solution, he might just have the answer. So put away the pitchforks and grab your PCs because today you'll learn about carbon farming and why it is so beneficial to all of us. You're listening to the Innovating to a Clean Economy podcast, a place where we bring industry, students, government, and academia together to drive collaboration for the clean tech economy. This program is brought to you by the UNC Institute for the Environment, and it's hosted by Kirsten Williams. What is carbon farming and what does it do? We have to think about carbon farming similarly to the way we think about growing food. So what we do as farmers is we accelerate the natural process, right? For 10,000 years, we've been figuring out how to grow food by accelerating the process at which we advance traits, that we increase yields, and then we integrate that in a whole system that we call that agriculture and farming. We've really never done that focus on reducing emissions and capturing carbon. And carbon farming is really the idea that we can use all of our agricultural techniques, all of our our skills as farmers, to accelerate the carbon cycle, the water cycle, and the nutrient cycle with a specific focus on capturing carbon from the atmosphere where we don't want it and putting it to work in our soils where we want it. You know, not only does it take it away from a place that's harmful, it puts it someplace, it puts that carbon someplace where it's actually helpful. Carbon farming is the intentional farming practices that deliver that outcome. And that's new. We've never done that in the history of humanity. We've never asked farmers to figure it out. And farmers, we've never really stepped up to do that. So what's been the reaction in the farming community to this concept? Well, it's kind of been all over the place. I think if you just talk to farmers about those cycles, like carbon, nutrients, water, and their agricultural systems, they tend to get it. But the problem with kind of climate change in general is it's so politicized that if you start to talk about climate change, it triggers a lot of kind of social and political reactions. So what we're seeing is a real navigation of that, where we are right now, where we haven't been asking farmers, we haven't been paying farmers, um, we haven't been you know, inviting farmers to help solve problems in the world around carbon farming. The narrative to feed people is very strong and moves policy and moves farmers and is very strong in our ethic. But the whole kind of ecological environmental services, that's new. So if you can get past the politics, we're finding that farmers across the political spectrum, across the scale, so large commodity farms here in Iowa and and smaller local foods operations, there's a commonality that farmers can talk about and understand if we frame this as This is a really big problem. We need farmers as problem solvers to help figure this out. We need you to use your agricultural skills to do this, and we need you to lead. That tends to open the door 
for some really great conversations and move farmers into being willing to add carbon farming to the mix of what they do on their farms. Can you explain the tie-in between carbon farming and clean tech? What I like to say is oftentimes when I'm talking about this and I'm talking with media or, or folks who aren't farmers, they kind of get it and they say, oh, we need to, this is like what we used to do 50 years ago, <laughs> which I immediately stop them and say, uh, no, <laughs> you know, we've got 10,000 years of, of agricultural technology to, to draw on, but all of this is forward moving. And so that's a, that's a really important question, a really important point to think about is that we're not going to do carbon farming by, by just going back and doing what we did 50 years ago or 100 years ago. We're going to draw on that, but we're going to use computers and satellites and a lot of pretty high technology on our farms in order to make this happen. It's kind of like the transition from, if we think about you know, agriculture as it grew into the, into the 20th century, so from the 1800s into the 1900s, you know, by World War II, we'd really started to do the Green Revolution as hybrids, petrochemicals, fossil fuels, tractors, all of that, you know, that really transformed agriculture. We're kind of on that same time where we're going through this huge transformation. We need to. The world is calling on us as farmers to, to make this transition. So, yeah, we're going to use a lot of technology from 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and maybe even more of that than we're using today. But we're also going to be coupling that with really really advanced technologies, you know, big data, all kinds of things so that we can track what we're doing, we can figure out metrics, and we can use those technologies. But it's, it's just really interesting. We use fossil fuels in the fossil fuel era to kind of replace management. So we use fossil fuels to create efficiencies. In, in carbon farming, we need those efficiencies, but the most important thing is the farmer as the innovator. So we're taking the technologies, we're taking all that we know, and then that farmer is thinking about their whole farm and how can we add a carbon farming component to this operation. And then, you know, we'll talk about policy too. So what are the policies that reward that kind of investment? And so some farms that are small maybe maybe doing a lot of management, not a lot of technology. Other farms that are a little bigger are going to use a little more technology. But it's really all hands on deck. I think there's a real opportunity for, for almost any farmland owner and any farmer of almost any scale to figure out how to be part of this revolution into carbon farming. So how did you personally get interested in carbon farming and in climate change initiatives in general? I'm a fifth generation Iowa farmer. I grew up on a commodity farm in western Iowa. And so it's in my it's kind of in my blood. And my early career I studying to be a Catholic priest. So you know, I've got the faith, the moral, the call, discipleship to what had become a real interest in, in sustainability and natural resources. And then I got a master's in rural sociology from Iowa State University. And then when we bought our own farm in 2005 and we started navigating some really extreme weather, droughts, heavy rain events, it clicked. It's like, I'm a farmer, so I'm going to really hone in on on agriculture and natural resources as a solution for, you know, sustainable solutions. And, and then uh, I was working at the Drake University Agricultural Law Center and started to do some research and, and really saw how the top of the supply chain, the Unilevers, the General Mills, big global companies were really interested in emissions. And they were really starting to talk about their supply chain and talking about farmers. And so back in about 2013-14, 
I really started to realize this is a huge opportunity. We've got global companies that, that want to include these ecological services in their supply chain. Farmers are the ones who are most capable of, of doing this. And then understanding kind of the political world of we'd, we'd, had, we'd seen farmers be organized into climate skeptics. So, you know, farmers being really concerned about government overreach and regulation around climate and so organized to resist that. And then you had kind of on the environmental movement, this farmers are causing the problem. Agriculture is, you know, a huge part of global warming and, and causing climate change. So they've got to stop doing what they're doing. And so as a sociologist, as a person of faith, I'm looking at, and as a farmer, I'm looking at this saying, this is really problematic because the farmers who can affect the most change, we can do this the fastest and the most effective and the most efficient. We're not in the decision-making chain. Like, we're being told by environmentalists what to do. We're being told by kind of top of the supply chain what to do. And we're being organized to be kind of kept out of the leadership. We weren't set up to be at the table to make the decisions, to, to advance the policies, and then to, to develop our farms to be able to compete in the markets that were emerging around carbon and emissions. So all of that is why I said the rest of my life is dedicated to to figuring out on my own farm how to do carbon farming and how to advance the opportunities for farmers to lead. Because if we can lead and change the economics you know, in a matter of, of a decade or so, we can have a huge transformational um, impact on agriculture and ecological services and being part of the solution to climate change. What are some of the policies that need to be in place for this to really take off? The work that we've been doing in Iowa with farmers and we had this huge opportunity, which, which we knew was coming, and so we planned accordingly. You know, we had the Democratic candidates come through Iowa in 2018. We knew that was coming. And we knew the media would be there. And we kind of suspected that climate was going to be one of the issues. And so we really worked to get farmers talking to each other, developing a message that they were comfortable with. It was their message. Like, we didn't, it wasn't campaign work where we're like, Let's, here's the great idea. Let's get farmers to, to, you know, carry this water. What we did was we brought farmers into basements of churches and church halls, and we, we ate and prayed, and they talked about climate change and their call as a farmer and their vocation. And, and they developed a really powerful message, which is climate change is a big problem. That's why this is important. We, as farmers, are really capable of helping solve this problem. That's who. And then how we need to lead and we need to change the economics. And so farmers developed a way of talking about climate change that was really grounded in their identity as farmers. And that identity is we solve problems. This is a big problem. We can solve it. But we also have to change the system. Because right now the system doesn't reward farmers that are doing the practices that have the public benefit of ecological services. So, and then it's kind of twofold. We externalize costs in the system now. So if we have, you know, polluting systems, those costs get externalized rather than built into the system. But we also then have on the environmental benefits side, those benefits are also externalized. So we have it just upside down. The kind of farming that we need doesn't get rewarded. And the kind of farming that causes some problems doesn't pay a penalty. And what farmers said is, if we got to pick one, let's pick rewarding 
the farmers that are doing the right thing. Because if we get paid for doing the right thing, then more farmers will do that. And we don't have to completely tear down everything, right? <laughs> we don't have to tear it all down and start over. We can, we can evolve what we're doing. So our corn and soybean farms can become actually carbon negative. That's carbon farming. And we have to integrate livestock into that. We have to integrate more crops into the rotation. We have to do things like cover crops. We have to do things like no-till and conservation tillage. Um, we have to figure out how to generate energy. So put, you know, put solar panels on our hog building. Um, so that's the message that we've worked on in terms of getting farmers to talk about how they can be part of the solution and what that would look like. And, and then what we saw in the presidential campaign was the candidates actually were starting to put climate policy into their ag programs and agriculture policy into their climate programs. So that was a real win. And we didn't have a specific, you need to do this, you need to do this in terms of the specific policy. It was more of a, it was more of like a uh, guardrail. It's like, are you treating farmers as entrepreneurs who get paid for delivering services to help solve this problem? Okay. That's kind of the litmus test, you know, then how, how an individual candidate developed policy, you know, those were the democratic candidates. The, the beauty of this is that it allows Republicans, it really challenges Republicans because we're not saying you have to become Democrats in order to solve climate change. It's like, no, what, whatever your Republican principles are, apply those. Like we're creating an on-ramp. You need, you need to be working with those solutions to empower farmers to lead as well. And then in the great democracy, you have the battle of ideas and policy development. But up until just recently, we haven't even raised the question of what kind of policies would need to be in place to create all, you know, the value of ecological services on our farms and reward that. So that's changing, and it's changing quickly. Uh, you know, we're seeing it from both parties. They're not exactly the same starting point on this, but they're, they're, we're seeing movement from both parties, and we're seeing farmers really get excited to step up and lead. They're starting to see that it's not feed the world or solve the climate crisis. We have to keep feeding people and fueling and fiber and ecological services and solving these problems. In other words, we're we're expanding what we can do with our farms in terms of solving problems in the world. What are the two to five year plan for educating farmers about this, the policy landscape, you know, does it all come together in that time frame or kind of what, what roadmap are you, are you working with? That's a great question. Um, I mean, the overview is all the, you know, the, the intergovernmental panel on climate change, their special land use report. And then that was last fall. And then the fall of 18, the special report was we've got a dozen years to get this done. So there's a lot of urgency. There's a lot of really great science, um, you know, globally recognized. So part of the time frame is it's all hands on deck. We've got to make this transformation as fast as we can. And farmers on the land are the ones who can do this the fastest and the best. So we have to engage them and, and have them leading us doing this. But specifically for our work here in Iowa, we think about it this way. We had the caucus cycle for 2019, and, and we did that really well. Our, the farmers got that message, got it on the debate stages. You know, farmers are part of the solution. We got to pay them to help solve this problem. COVID-19 has, has changed everything, but we're in an election year. There's still going to be lots of opportunity to talk about climate change and agriculture. Then if you think about the transition to 2021, 
um, whether it's a, a continuation of the Trump administration or a different administration, there's going to be changes. So the next the, the next administration, whether it's whether it's still Republican or whether it's Democrat, there's going to be changes. So 2021 is really a transition year of uh, you know new Congress, new administration, and then in 2022 we're going to be working on the 2023 Farm Bill. And so when you think about you know these kind of big political cycles that are happening in our country, there's huge opportunity. There's going to be huge opportunity that we didn't anticipate, you know, six months ago, uh, that we're going to be doing a lot of recovery. It's, you know, a crisis stuff for COVID-19 right now, there's going to be recovery stuff. And so farmers really have to step up and and take a stronger leadership role in, in how we are shaping our agricultural system. Because if we don't do it, others will. And it's either, you know, and a big food company, a big top of the supply chain agribusiness, you know, they've got a vested interest. They're going to drive a system that, that rewards their investment. Um, you've got environmental groups, you've got consumer groups. There's a huge opportunity for farmers to step into this arena, not just in carrying somebody else's message, but in carrying a message that's good for farmers, rural communities, our farms, our lands, our livestock. Um, and if we can create systems that are more resilient, whether it's you know supply chain disruptions because of because of the pandemic, or disruptions because of extreme weather, um, or you know God help us conflict based on some of these other disruptions. If we can work as farmers together across the political spectrum and across the scale, so not big farmers against small farmers, but all farmers together, globally trying to come trying to advance agricultural systems that are more resilient and that deliver better public benefits globally. Um, you know, this next century, this, the, the 21st century is really potentially as exciting in terms of human development as the last century was with the Green Revolution. That's why I get up every morning and work as hard as I can, both on my farm and off my farm, because I believe the, the opportunities are so, so exciting. And the flip side of that is if we don't do it, the downsides are really catastrophic. Matt, can you give us an example of how carbon farming might look different from a traditional farm? Yeah, um, if you think about what a typical farm in, in 2020 might look like in Iowa, and then what, what that same farm might look like five or, five or 10 years from now. A, a typical, say, 1,000-acre farm right now in Iowa that's growing mostly corn, maybe some soybeans, so maybe they're doing corn and soybeans. They probably don't have much livestock. And so it's just kind of corn and soybeans on a thousand acres. They're really basically using fossil fuels, petrochemicals to admit, to really generate high yields on corn and soybeans and, you know, doing a pretty good job of it. But to reduce emissions and actually start capturing carbon, that thousand acre corn and soybean farm is going to have to grow something other than corn and soybean. They're going to have to integrate some livestock and they might even generate a little bit of, of energy. So what that farm might look like in 10 years is instead of just growing corn and soybeans, that they now have a rotation where they go corn, soybeans, oats, alfalfa, alfalfa. So now they have a five-year four-crop rotation. And they've added some livestock. So they put some cover crops on all of their corn and soybean acres through the wintertime. They're grazing those back with some livestock. Maybe they don't own the livestock. Maybe their neighbor has the cattle that they're bringing in. They might put up a pork facility and they might integrate that nutrient 
on a smaller scale with across their whole farm um, and, and really pay attention to how they're applying that manure with other nutrients that they're adding. So they're really seeing the hog waste as a nutrient versus just trying to figure out how to get rid of the waste. And maybe they're putting some solar panels on that hog building, or maybe they're doing a methane digester to create some energy. And their lowest producing ground, instead of trying to grow a cash crop, they're actually using precision agriculture, GPS. They're shutting equipment on and off. So now that wet spot in the middle of the field that they've been farming through for three generations, now they just turn it off and they're now managing that three acres of wetland for carbon capture. So they're actually managing it. They're not just letting it go wild. They're, they're putting woody vegetation. They're putting stuff in there. They can still drive through it and farm through it. In other words, we're taking that whole farm, we're taking the most profitable part of it and keeping it high producing in terms of commodities. We're putting ecological services in other places and we're extending crop rotations and adding livestock to accelerate the biological activity in the soil. So we now are accelerating the carbon cycle, the water cycle, the nutrient cycle. We're using nutrients more efficiently. We're holding water in wet years. We've got stores of water in dry years. and because of the biology and the way we're managing, the carbon cycle is actually accelerating. So we're building up organic matter in the soil even faster than the prairies did when they developed over thousands of years. Do you have one last message to farmers who might be interested in carbon neutral farming, but just aren't there yet? What we talk about at Iowa and really touches me personally is I think about who God or the world means is who we are as farmers. We don't have to change who we are. We have to actually go deeper into who we are as farmers, which is working with living systems, growing things, solving problems, and delivering public goods for the whole world. And we just haven't been doing carbon farming, but we can figure it out. That's, that's the next big revolution that the world needs from farmers in Iowa, across the whole United States, and globally. Well, Matt, thank you so much. This has been really great. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to the Innovating to a Clean Economy podcast. We would like to give a special thanks to the following companies for making this podcast possible and for their commitment to clean tech innovation. Strata Solar, Bank of America, Birdseye Renewable Energy, Pace Business Partners, Southern Company, and SunGrow. I'd love for you to join me again. So please take a moment to like and subscribe to this podcast. I'm Kirsten Williams from the Clean Tech and Innovation Program at the Institute for the Environment at UNC Chapel Hill.